Today's episode is sponsored by the American Chemistry Council. Chemistry creates, America competes. About a year ago, companies making e-cigarettes and vaping products were required to send an application to the FDA. FDA received applications that covered six and a half million products. Catherine Foley covers the FDA and tobacco products for Politico. And, and those are just the companies that applied. Some of them said, no way, we're not even going to try. In their applications, companies had to demonstrate that their products are, quote, appropriate for the protection of public health. Or as Catherine puts it, something that will be attractive to current smokers, but not non- or never-smokers, right? So not teenagers or people who've never used a nicotine product. Essentially, they had to show that their vapes helped people quit smoking, but didn't get young people hooked. Because, as I'm sure you've heard, a lot of teens got really hooked on some of these e-cigarette products over the last few years. A lot of them, I think Juul is the biggest name there. This month, the FDA ordered more than 5 million of those vaping products off the market. That's the vast majority of the applications they received. But they haven't issued a decision yet on Juul and some of the other biggest players in the vaping market. And the majority of these denials have gone to small independent vape shops. And they're really angry because they're saying, you know, we don't have the resources to apply the way that FDA wants us to, the financial resources, because we're small businesses. And we've only been selling to adults who are using our products as a means to quit smoking cigarettes. I'm Jeremy Siegel. This is Politico Dispatch. And today, Catherine Foley on how federal regulators are reshaping the entire vaping industry. What do we know at this point about the safety or lack of safety of vaping products? Uh, it's really kind of a, a mixed bag. I mean, I'm sure you may have heard a few years ago about a really concerning lung condition called Ivali. A fourth death has been reported from a severe lung illness linked to vaping. The CDC says it's looking into more than 450 cases in 33 states. It seems like that was caused mainly from people who were using a type of oil to cut their vape cartridges that contained marijuana, and it wasn't really an e-cigarette problem. You still are combusting things that, ingredients that FDA has generally regarded as safe, so things like propylene glycol or glycerin, but those were never studied or considered safe for inhalation, right? And then there's also the issue of uh, smoking flavors, which are really just what people are making in the back of their shops. So it's actually really hard for scientists to do like any kind of big controlled study because there's just so much variability in product to product because so many of them are coming from these small independent shops who are just buying the ingredients and mixing along as they go. Um, and that's, I think, what the application process was supposed to sort of do. But as I said, so far no single product has actually made it through. Nothing has made it through um, or received marketing orders since 2020. One obvious question that comes to mind to me with this situation is why take such dramatic action against vaping products, pulling millions of them off the market when 
cigarette products, smokable tobacco, which we know and hear about the extremely negative health effects of all the time, are still on the market. In a way, it feels like there's a disconnect to me there. Yeah, and I think a lot of small vape shops would argue the same thing. Um, There are probably many, many reasons why that's true. But I think the biggest reason is that FDA is trying to pull certain cigarettes off the market. Like, it's just a really long process, right? So earlier this year, FDA said that it would pull menthol cigarettes from the market, which Mm -hmm. are disproportionately used by people in the Black community um, and arguably have taken a disproportionately high toll on that community's health overall. And there are groups that are focused on also trying to get these products removed. But cigarettes have a long-standing history in the U.S., and if you give people no alternative for smoking, if you give smokers, if you take them away entirely, um, I think there's a big concern that, I mean, A, there would just be such a huge uproar, and B, there would still be ways for people to find their nicotine fixes. They just wouldn't be regulated. So Mm -hmm. I, I do think that is what's trying to be avoided. Um, as I've said, FDA has been very clear. There's no such thing as a safe tobacco product. Um, but I think the agency is interested in making sure that it can mitigate risks and, and keep things as tightly regulated as possible. But I think they're also very aware that you can't just eliminate everything immediately or else you're going to have a black market or or other illicit ways of getting these products. So nevertheless, the FDA is ordering that millions of vaping products not be sold anymore. But as you said, anytime you take something, especially something that's addictive away, there's potential for things like a black market. It's easier to say something shouldn't be done than make sure something isn't done. Um, you have a news story for Politico where you spoke with small and medium-sized e-cigarette makers and and vaping vendors about how this is actually playing out and how this will play out in the real world. What did you learn? It seems to me like there are sort of two schools of thought. The first is the, the camp of people who really are trying to do things legally and That means that they could either file a lawsuit against the FDA, against what they see were some moving goalposts for the standards that they needed to meet in order to be able to sell their products. You also have some people who are saying, well, what if I switch out my ingredients to make them something that FDA Center for Tobacco Products doesn't regulate? So there's this really strange loophole where a tobacco product is technically considered anything that has an ingredient derived from a tobacco plant. So you could make nicotine in a lab and that wouldn't fall, that wasn't derived from a plant, so it wouldn't fall under the Center for Tobacco Products purview. Hmm. That's a really expensive route and it's unclear and would be very easy for FDA to say, hey, actually, we regulate all nicotine. Like that actually falls under our our drug regulatory office. Hmm. So I don't know how many people are actually going to do that. The other option is to just buck the FDA's orders and say, we're going to keep selling our products. We don't think you can actually enforce all of these marketing denial orders you've issued. We don't think you're going to come into our shops and try to prove that we're doing anything illegal. So we're just going to keep selling. And that's what a lot of people said they were considering doing. 
There are shop owners who are deciding that they are going to just have a different storefront, like just make it so that you would have to be in the know to know that it was secretly a vape shop. There are also shop owners who are selling things online that are like, you know, like a $20 sticker or something like that. And uh, you buy this sticker online and, you know, everyone knows what that's actually code for and you get what you were actually looking for. It seems like that's sort of the direction that small vape shops, a lot of small vape shops are going, Hmm. which sort of raises the question, is this actually making things safer from a public health standpoint, right? And I think that if FDA can't figure out how to step up its enforcement, you know, there's they didn't really get rid of the shops or the flavors that they that the agency intended to. Mm. So what we've mostly been talking about are smaller or mid-size vaping company products, things you'd probably see in a vape or smoking shop, but not things like Juul or other big wigs in the industry like Views or Enjoy, which you might see at a gas station behind the counter. Why hasn't the FDA ruled on those companies yet? And when might they make a decision? That is a really good question that I think a lot of people wish they had the answer to. Originally, FDA said that they were going to prioritize decisions by market share. Uh, Right now, I believe Juul still has the biggest market share of e-cigarettes, followed with a company called Views, which is uh, tied to RJ Reynolds, which is a big cigarette company, and Enjoy. Um, However, that's not what they did. And it could be that these products had lengthier applications, more robust applications, because they all have pretty deep pockets that the FDA is still going through, or it could be some other reason. We've heard that hopefully the decision is coming within the next coming weeks, but it's interesting because these are also the companies that lawmakers tend to be most interested in as well when they're thinking of it from a youth vaping standpoint, right? Like these are the the manufacturers whose products are sold in drugstores and convenience stores, which are much easier for teenagers or minors to access. And they're the ones that are largely credited for with being a part of uh, the youth vaping epidemic and getting teenagers and, and, and high schoolers and middle school students hooked on these on these products. And they are really addictive, right? And it's that's a lot of nicotine to be inhaling at a young age. Mm. Kind of makes you think of a situation where like the FDA is ordering most of these companies to stop selling their products, but then you still have potentially jewel around, um, which it seems, you know, is, is one of the companies that has enticed teens to use vaping products in a lot of ways. Yeah, exactly. So I think a lot of folks are waiting to see what FDA will do with these bigger companies. And I think, you know, the other thing to watch out for is going to be lawsuits from either groups of smaller companies or medium-sized manufacturers who have been essentially decimated by FDA's decision. Catherine Foley, Thanks so much for talking with me. Yeah, thank you for having me. Also today, the U.S. Department of Education is repaying several Florida school board members who saw their salary slashed by the DeSantis administration for requiring students to wear masks this fall. In total, the Biden administration sent school officials in Alachua County more than $147,000 to make up for fines from the Florida Department of Education, marking the first awards granted by the feds in the fight against Republican-led states and their COVID policies. 
Alachua is one of 11 school districts in Florida to mandate masks for students in defiance of Governor Ron DeSantis, who wants parents to have the ultimate say on face coverings in schools. And the House is rejecting an effort to bar U.S. troops from remaining in Syria unless Congress authorizes a continued military mission there. On Thursday, lawmakers voted 286 to 141 against an amendment from Representative Jamal Bowman to annual defense policy legislation that would have prohibited funding for troop deployments on the ground in Syria unless approved by Congress within a year of the bill's enactment. The bipartisan rejection is a blow for progressives amid a wider debate about how to rein in expansive executive war powers. Today's episode included music composed by Breakmaster Cylinder. The Politico Dispatch team includes senior editor Raghu Manavalan, senior producer Jenny Amens, and executive producer Irene Noguchi. And just a reminder, we want to hear from you, so take part in our podcast survey. Go to politico.com slash pod survey. Again, that's politico.com slash pod survey. Or find a link in our show notes. I'm Jeremy Siegel. Thanks for listening.